I was hoping that Curtis would leave everybody standing up so I could tell everyone that I got a standing ovation before I even started this morning, but he let me down and made you sit down, but I guess that's all right. I don't know how many of you were here yesterday for our open house, our outreach activity that went on. Yeah, let's have a show of hands with people who were here. That's a good turnout from Netherwood Park, and it was an incredible turnout from our community. Um, We were full here. There wasn't a parking place to be had. The gym was a constant hive of activity. I don't know how many hot dogs were eaten and how many pounds of popcorn we went through and how many cases of soda, Uh, but it was truly a great day. God blessed us with great weather, and God blessed us with a great turnout. And we know that a lot of the people who were here yesterday were here just for a car show or just here to play on the bouncy houses or just here for free food. But we also know that there were some people who were here that had seeds planted in them because of what happened yesterday. And what I want to ask you to do is I want to ask you to be in prayer as we consider what happened yesterday. And as we think about the people who were here and we think about the seeds that were planted, please pray that those seeds will be watered, that those seeds will be fed, and that fruit will come out of what happened here yesterday. And let's pray about that right now together. Father, we thank you for blessing what happened here yesterday. Father, we know that you prepared people to come to us and you prepared us for those people to come here. And Father, we know that there were people here who had questions and our prayer, Father, is that they will seek your answers. Father, we know that there were people here who were hungry. Pray, Father, that you will help them seek your food. Father, we know that there were people here who were lost Father, we pray that you'll help them to seek your way. And Father, we pray that you will use us as your instruments in their lives. Father, help us to bring them water, help us bring them food, help us bring them light. Food and water and light that can only come from you. So that they too, Father, can come into a relationship with you. And they can call you Father. And you will call them your children. So that one day, Father, they can spend eternity with you. And Father, we ask you to work in powerful ways. We pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our sermon series from the book of Romans. We'll once more be in Romans chapter 8, so this would be a great time to grab your Bibles and turn there. We'll be in Romans chapter 8 towards the end of the chapter. And as we've been in Romans chapter 8 the last couple of weeks, we've been calling this chapter Paul's victory chapter. We've been calling it Paul's victory chapter because in this chapter, Paul celebrates the victory won by Jesus Christ. The victory over death, the victory over sin, the victory over Satan. But we've also seen as Paul celebrates this victory of Jesus, he doesn't lose sight of and he doesn't pretend like there isn't still a battle going on. Paul doesn't lose sight of the fact that we here now live in an in-between time. We live after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the the events that sealed Jesus' victory. But we also live before the new heaven and the new earth. We live before the time when God's glory will be fully realized and fully revealed. And as we saw last week, this in-between time is also a time of groaning. 
We saw that God's creation and God's people are groaning. They're groaning out of pain and they're groaning out of frustration of living in a broken world. But we also saw that God's people and God's creation are groaning out of longing and anticipation. We said that we're up on our tiptoes and we're craning our necks and we're straining our eyes. We're looking forward to the day that God's glory will be revealed. We're looking forward to the day that we will be with God in glory where nothing will be broken. So the victory that Paul celebrates in chapter 8, it's a victory that's been won but hasn't been fully realized And as people often do who are living in these in-between times, we have all kinds of questions, don't we? We've got questions about the here and now, and we certainly have questions about the future. And as we enter into the final verses of chapter 8, Paul answers another question that we have. He answers that for us. And the question that we have that Paul is going to answer is a question that people have been asking for over 2,000 years. See, as we live in this in-between time, as we groan in our broken bodies in this broken world, we want to know, how can we be confident? How can we know? How can we be certain that the victory that's been won will actually be realized? And how can we know that it will be realized for us and in us? How can we know that that parade that we talked about that we're looking for is actually coming? And in these last verses of chapter 8, Paul is going to assure us that we can be confident that the glory of God's victory will be fully realized. And we can be confident of that because God is for us. Paul is going to tell us that God is with us, that God is on our side. Paul is going to reassure us that God didn't declare a victory and then just disappear, leaving us to fend for ourselves until he returns. Paul is going to reassure us that God is still with us, still beside us, still for us. And so because God is for us, Paul tells us we can be confident in the glory to come. And as we read these few verses, we're going to see that Paul's going to give us nine different reasons why we can be confident in God's glory being fully realized. He's going to show us nine different ways that God demonstrates right now in this life that he is for us. So listen to Paul as he tells us about how God is on our side. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Paul writes... And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Let's pause there for a moment. Well, Paul packs a bunch of stuff in those few verses, doesn't he? There's a lot of rich treasure in there. In fact, I could preach a whole series of sermons out of those three verses alone. I'm not going to do it right now, but I could do it. But let's just quickly unpack some of the treasure that's in those verses before we move on. 
remember as we read this, we're looking for confidence. We're looking for the ways that God is for us. We're asking, how is God for us? And Paul doesn't waste any time. He jumps right in. How is God for us? Well, Paul says in all things, God is working for the eternal good of those who obey him out of love. Now, notice what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say that everything is good. Everything's good in this world for those who love him. And he doesn't say that everything is going to feel good in this world for those who love him. Instead, what he does say is that God is working to bring good out of everything. He's working to bring good out of our highest highs, and he's working to bring good out of our lowest lows. He's working to bring good out of our triumphs, and he's also working to bring good out of our tragedies. See, this isn't a promise of a good outcome for us in this in-between time. No, it's a promise of a good outcome in us as God prepares us for the time to come. It's a promise of an eternally good outcome in everything. But notice he says, in everything for those who love him. This is a conditional promise, isn't it? Paul says, God will work for good if we will love. If we will love God, what does that look like, to love God? Well, when Paul's talking about loving God, he's talking about a very specific action. Jesus, not surprisingly, is the one who said it best in the verse that was just read before the sermon. John 14, 21, Jesus said, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. See, loving God is obeying God. And obeying God is loving God. True love for God is active, obedient love for God. And in that kind of love, we have confidence that in all things, God is working for the eternal good of those who obey him. Who obey him out of love. That's reason number one. How we can know how God is for us. And here's reason number two. Paul says we can have confidence that God is for us because God foreknew us. That's kind of a strange word, right? Foreknew. I don't know that I've ever used that word in any context except a biblical context. So what does it mean to foreknew somebody? Well, it simply means that God knew us before, and our reaction to that might be like, uh, so what? Kind of overwhelming. Of course God knew us before. As our creator, God had to know us before, before we came into existence on this earth. But Paul's really saying something else. Paul's saying that God knew us before, but he's also saying that God loved us before. He's saying God foreloved us. He's saying that we can know that God is on our side because God set his affection ahead of time on those who will love and obey him. God preordained that he would love everyone who answered his call with loving obedience. Let me give you an analogy. It's certainly not a perfect analogy. But what Paul's talking about here is somewhat like my grandchildren. And I use every 
chance I can get to talk about my grandchildren. You see, I predetermined years ago that I would wholeheartedly love my grandchildren. I predetermined that long before they ever arrived. Long before I ever had grandchildren. I foreloved my grandchildren. And then once they came into my family and where my family name, those grandchildren can be confident that I am on their side. Because not only did I forelove them, I now love them. And we can know that God is for us because he set his affection ahead of time on us. Ahead of time on those who love and obey him. That's reason number two. And here's reason number three. Not only did God foreknow us, not only did God forelove us, He also predestined a destination for those who love and obey him. Okay, so predestined, that's kind of a loaded word, right? It can cause us all kinds of heartburn, can it? And there are some people who will try to convince you that what Paul is saying here is that long, long ago, before creation, God determined which people would be saved and which people would not be saved, which people would be condemned. And they'll tell you that what Paul is saying, there's really nothing that you can do about that. They'll tell you that if you're in, if God predetermined that you're in, they can't do anything to move yourself out. And then if you're out, if God predetermined that you're out, there's really nothing that you can do to move yourself in. They want you to believe that your eternal fate was predestined for you by God and you don't have the freedom of will to do anything about your ultimate destination. There's a problem with that view. The problem with that view is that's not what Paul's saying and that's not what the Bible teaches. See, what Paul is saying is that those who answer God's call in obedience were not only for loved by God, Their destination was also set in advance by God. See, God in advance predestined that those who love him will be conformed to Jesus' likeness. Those who obediently love God will become more and more like Christ. Paul's saying that's your destiny. Those who choose to love and obey God are predestined to be transformed. When we choose love and obedience, God has chosen in advance to transform us. That's reason number three, how we can know that God is for us. And here's reason number four. You see, all this also means that God has declared in advance that those who choose to love him and obey him are justified in his sight. Paul tells us we can know God is for us because God pronounced judgment in advance for those who will love and obey him. Paul tells us God will declare them righteous. He will declare them blameless. So when we choose love and obedience, God has chosen in advance to declare us justified. Not because we are righteous and blameless, but because we love and obey the one who gave his righteous and blameless son as our sacrifice so we can stand before God as blameless, as justified. 
That's reason number four. And Paul also tells us that those whom God has justified, God will reward. And that's reason number five. See, Paul tells us that we are confident that God is for us because God has pronounced a reward in advance for those who will love and obey him. God's promise we will be fully transformed. Paul says those who love and obey God will be glorified, fully transformed, made perfect in body and soul. When we choose love and obedience, God has chosen in advance to glorify us. In fact, Paul speaks of it as if it's already happened. That's how sure the promise is. And that's reason number five, how we can know that God is for us. So let's review right now. How is God for those who love and obey him? Well, God works for their eternal good in all things. And God set his affection on them. And God set a destination for them. And God pronounced a favorable judgment on them. And he pronounced a glorious reward for them. Our God is for us. Which brings us to verse 31. Paul continues on and he says, What then shall we say in response to all of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? So Paul, how is, how is God for us? Well, here's reason number six. Paul tells us that we can know that God will withhold nothing God will withhold nothing in taking care of those who love and obey him. And how do we know that? How do we know that God will withhold nothing in taking care of those who love and obey him? Well, we know that because God didn't even withhold his own son. We know that because God gave up his son for us all. See, he didn't withhold his son, so we know he won't withhold anything. That's reason number six. And not only will he not spare anything in taking care of us, Paul tells us God will allow nothing to condemn those who love and obey him. Verse 33, Paul says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So how is God for us? Well, here's reason number seven. See, Paul tells us that God will not allow anything or anyone to condemn those who love and obey him. See, in effect, what Paul is saying, that anyone or anything that wishes to condemn one of those whom God has justified, they're going to have to do so over Christ's once dead but now resurrected body. Jesus Christ stands in the way. So we know that God is for us because Jesus stands between us and condemnation. That's reason number seven. 
And not only is Jesus protecting us, Jesus is also interceding for us, which is reason number eight. See, Jesus is with God, and Jesus is interceding with God. He's speaking for us. He's defending us. He's advocating for us. He's advocating for those who love and obey him. And why is Jesus interceding for us? Well, he's interceding for us because he loves us. See, Jesus loves us like a shepherd loves his sheep. Jesus loves us fiercely. He loves us protectively. Jesus loves us jealously. Which is why Paul concludes his answer to the question of how is God for us by talking about the power of Jesus' love. The power of that love that Jesus has for those who love and obey him. So Paul goes on to say in verse 35, he says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 37, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How can we know that God is for us? Reason number nine. Paul tells us that God will not allow anything to separate those who love and obey him from his love. And when Paul says nothing will separate, he means nothing. Nothing in our human experience. Neither height nor depth, neither death nor life. Nothing in the spiritual realm can separate us from his love, neither angels nor demons. Nothing in time can separate us, neither the present nor the future. Nothing in space can separate us from his love. And in case all of that doesn't cover everything that Paul can imagine, Paul says there's nothing in all creation that's able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's how we can know that God is for us. That's how we can be confident that God's victory will be realized. That's how we can know that the parade we're craning our necks to see is actually coming. And that's why Paul is able to call those who love and obey God more than conquerors. See, Paul wants those of us that are living in God's love to know that we are super conquerors. We can even say that we have a superpower. Superpower because God is for us. You have superpower. How does that make you feel? Well, before you run out and get a cape and try to stop a speeding freight train with your bare hands, you need to understand something about the nature of your superpower. See, having God on your side gives you a unique superpower. As an obedient child of God, you've been set free by God And you've been set free by his love from this world's ability to even harm you. 
been set free from this world's ability to harm you. Now, listen carefully. See, with God on your side, this world can burn down your house, but it can't take your home. With God for you, this world can extinguish your breath, but it can't kill you. With God on your side, this world can drain your bank accounts, but it can't take your treasure. With God for you, this world can destroy your relationships, but it can't come between you and your father. Yeah, with God on your side, this world cannot harm you. Yes, it can bring you all kinds of pain, but it cannot harm you because, to quote Paul, our suffering in this world is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in those who love and obey the Lord. And you see, when we remove the world's ability to harm us, we have true freedom. We have true power. That's our superpower. To give you an illustration, I want to introduce to you John Chrysostom. There he is right there. Chrysostom is not really his given name. He was given that name because of his abilities as a preacher and an orator. It means golden throat. John golden throat. I like the sound of that, but we're going to call him John. John was the best known preacher in the fourth century. In fact, he was so good and so well known that the Roman emperor had him forcibly removed from where he was and taken to the capital to make him the Archbishop of Constantinople. He forcefully installed him because he wanted only the best. He wanted only the most famous preacher as his Archbishop in the capital. So he brought John to the capital, and there was only one problem. John refused to be the emperor's Archbishop. See, John went ahead and took office and went along with it because he felt that that was God's will that he do so. But John refused to be tamed by the emperor. He refused to be tamed by the capital. So John kept on preaching like he'd always preached. And part of his preaching was about government abuses and about government excesses and about the royal family's lack of morals. And you can probably imagine what happened next. John was repeatedly warned to toe the line, and finally John was brought before the emperor for one of those or-else meetings. You know what those meetings are like, right? Either you change and soften your message or else. And the conversation between John and the emperor reportedly went something like this. If you don't stop, I'll banish you to the wilderness, which John reportedly replied, you can't banish me because this world is my father's house. Well, then if you don't stop, I'll have you executed. To which John replied, you can't kill me because my life is hid with Christ in God. Well, then, if you don't stop, We'll confiscate all of your possessions and we'll turn you into a penniless beggar. To which John replied, you can't take my treasure because my treasure is in heaven and my heart is there as well. Well, then if you don't stop, we'll force all of your friends to renounce you. To which John replied, 
you can't take all of my friends away from me. No, because I have a friend in heaven from whom I can't be separated. John's reported to go on to say, I defy you because there's nothing you can do to hurt me. That was John's superpower. That's what real power looks like. That's what super conquerors sound like. See, those who love and obey God have superpower because there's nothing that anyone can do to separate us from the love of Christ. We have superpower. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? And that's why we can say we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. More than conquerors through him who loves us enough that he didn't even withhold his son from us. No wonder Paul isn't ashamed of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, help us to realize the power that we have in you. The power that we have in your love. Father, help us to understand and live as people who cannot be harmed by this world. Because, Father, this world is not our home. Father, people can't take our possessions because our treasure is with you. Father, people can't take our lives because our lives are with you. Father, we can't be banished or removed from others because, Father, our lives are in you. Father, help us to live as people who cannot be harmed by this world, but only are looking forward to the glory to come. And, Father, help us to be people who shine your light in the dark world around us so they, too, can know the power that comes from loving and obeying you and being in your love and protection. Father, we pray this through the name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Amen.